This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. So, I want to give you some chizik today with some nice stories that I've heard, that I've told over, that will give you some, you know, some inspiration and courage as we live in our life. It happens to be this morning, I was sitting with a friend of mine whose father is Rabbi Yisrael Gornish, he's a very famous mashkiach, hashkacha, and David and I daven together, and he asked me an interesting question. In this week's parsha, we know it, the parsha's name is Yisro, which is named after Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law, who the Torah tells us had tried every type of Avodah Zarah until he settled on Yiddishkeit. And his name is Yeser. So why does the Torah go ahead and name him Yisro? What's with the extra vav? David taught me some and really important insight. The Vav is a hook. You know, it says in the Torah, when we build the Mishkan, Vavim refers to hooks. Not only did he convert, but he wanted to hook on to Judaism. He wanted to hook on, become part of the people. He said, alone, I can't accomplish anything. But if we're hooked together as a Klal, as Am Yisrael, then he becomes part of a great thing. We ladies, ladies, I don't want to say ladies and gentlemen, I'm the only gentleman here. We ladies are part of a great mechanism of Klal Yisrael. We're all connected. Yisro teaches us from the Vav in the end of his name that we're all part of one. Alone we can't accomplish much. But together we can accomplish a lot. Let me tell you a beautiful story that I've told in my classes in dating. You'll get a lot of, you know, Hana uh, from this story. It was the day of the yurt site of Rachel Emenu. And many people like to go on that day in Eretz Yisrael to the Kever to Davin. And in Israel, it's quite fashionable to be able to hitch a ride on the road. Today, I wouldn't do that in America. Who knows who's the person who's driving the car? But in Israel, you expect that the person who's driving is a Yid. You can trust them. So two Hasidish guys decided to put out their fingers and, and hoping that someone will stop and take them to Kever Rachel. And they got lucky. Someone did stop. So they hopped into the back of the car and they're talking in Yiddish about how life is a struggle, and we're in Kolel, how will we ever achieve our dream of having an apartment? We're lucky if we just make the month. The fellow who's driving the car says to them, what are you worried about? You're worried about whether you can get an apartment? Why don't I tell you my story, how I got a beautiful apartment? And he tells them the following story. I grew up not religious. I was not from at all. My father worked for the Israel Broadcasting Authority, the television station of Eretz Yisrael, during the day. But still it wasn't enough money to take care of all the responsibilities of the family. At night, he moonlighted as the maitre d' in a wedding hall, which is uh, his responsibility, is he oversees all the waiters. And in Eretz Yisrael, if you've, if you've ever been to a simcha there, they bring out a cake and they light candles that are called sparklers. A sparkler, as you may have seen, if you, many of you have had birthday parties, is a, is a candle that sparkles. Sometimes, when you light those candles, they don't catch right away. The match, the, fly, the fire doesn't catch. So the maitre d', very interestingly, has a little bottle of lighter fluid that you may know from when you go on a barbecue. So that's the fuel, fluid that's, that gets the fire going. He keeps it in the back of his pocket. Anytime that the candles don't light right away, he squirts a little bit of that oil, and then he can light it, and it lights up. That night, as he got ready to wheel out the wedding cake, and he tried to light it, it wasn't going. So he now squirted some of this lighter fuel on the candles, 
and suddenly the entire wedding cake goes on fire. Huge fire. But now it gets worse because there's two little girls playing right next to the wedding cake that were guests of the kala and one of them went ran straight into the cake and now she becomes a ball of fire. Everyone is like besides themselves. They don't know what to do. What should we do? Everyone is like shocked. The, the, the photographer had a little seichel. He had common sense. He right away went over to a table. He pulled all the, the table, the plates went flying. He grabbed the tablecloth. He took the young girl. He wrapped her in the tablecloth and he was able to douse the fire. So Baruch Hashem, that was good. But when they took off the tablecloth, they noticed that she had 30 degree burns all over her. And Magen Avid David Edom, which was like their version of the 911, came rushing to the rescue and taking her to the hospital. Meanwhile, he's telling them the story about his father, who was the maitre d'. He was a decorated officer in the Israeli Defense Forces. That means he was a tough guy. You couldn't shake him for anything. Suddenly this tough guy is crying like mad. What did I do? It's my fault. I caused all these injuries to her. I can never give, forgive myself. He ran to the hospital to ask for the girl to give, to forgive him. And she says, it's not your fault. What did you do? They ran in, I ran into the, uh, the cake. What can I, it is what it is. Anyway, that particular story started to make him think about his life. He was not from, like I said. And he said, maybe Hashem is trying to wake me up and, Bring me back to Yiddishkeit. And he started the process of becoming Choser Bechuva. The man telling the story says, I was the son, but I wasn't interested. I was not interested in becoming. I was fry. I liked my life. My father tried to convince us to become from, but I wasn't interested. I grew up, fry, I went to the army, and then I got myself a job in a candy store. And the name of the store, there were 60 of them in Israel. Metukim Hashem Shelanu. Sweets, that's our name. And he's working there. It happens to be that the owner of this, all these stores was the person himself who became Choser Bechuva. Who tried to work on him to become a little bit more from. And he says, you know what, if you're not interested at all, why don't you go out with that girl who's this, who works the cashier. She's also not religious. At least be a good non-religious guy and go out with the girl. Maybe we have a, you know, something going here. Maybe we have a shidduch. So, the boss, listen to what happened. He decided to introduce them, and he started to go out. And he didn't ask her a lot of deep questions into her life, but he liked her. And after a while, he wanted to propose to her and marry her. And he says to her, you know what? I want to marry you, but I have a, I have a question. He tells me, the boss tells me, you're not religious. So how come you dress with such, with such sneers, like you come from Bnei Brak? So she says to him, I have to tell you a story. When I was young, I ran into a cake of fire. My entire body is full of burns. And that's why I dress this way. He turned white as a ghost. He said, did it happen in Sasson of a Simcha Hall in Yerushalayim? Yes. Did it happen in 1986? Yes. He goes, I don't know if you ever want to speak to me again. That was my father who was the maitre d'. And she says, no, he didn't do it. It wasn't really his fault. I can't, can't really blame him. He goes, my father would be shocked. He hasn't seen you since the day that the fire took place. Maybe you want to go and say hello to him. So they went to the fire, to the father and he said, Abba, you remember her? Remember what happened? And he started crying. He said, I felt so bad. It really upset me when it happened. She says, no, it's meant, it was meant. And the fact is, if that's, if Hashem made it so I should meet your son, it must be 
that he is my Bashert in life. And they decided to get married. And they moved in with her mother. And B'chashem, they started the process of both becoming from, they both became from, because they saw it as a simon from Hashem. So now, after a year, they're living by the, her mother, he says to his wife, maybe it's time for us to get our own apartment. If we go get our own apartment, we'll have, you know, our own place, we don't have to bother your mother anymore, but how can we move? We don't make enough money in order to be able to get our own apartment. Listen to what she tells him. Do you know that after I, the fire took place, my parents sued the hall and the insurance company gave them five million shekels. They bought me a four-bedroom apartment across the street from the Plaza Hotel in Yerushalayim. It's waiting for me. All we have to do is move in. And she had a tenant who was a doctor that paid the rent on time every month. Dafka that month, when they decided they're going to move, he moved out, they moved in, so the man who's in the car talking to the Hasidic fellows in the back, you're worried about how you're going to get an apartment when a person has a moon and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, anything can happen. The lesson from this story is that don't limit the Rabbi Shalaylam. He can take care of us. Sometimes the situation seems bleak. Sometimes you don't, you don't think it's going to happen. And Hashem has in all the ways at His disposal in order to be able to help us. Another story? Yeah. Let me give you another one. Okay. A man tells this story. This one is really interesting. Maybe I have another one after that too. He's in Haram in Uchos, and he's celebrating, well not celebrating, he's there for the 10th yard sire of his father. And he brought a minion with him in order to be able to recite Kaddish. And as they're getting ready to recite Kaddish, a mysterious event takes place. A man drives up the road in Haram in Uchos, which is the base of Chaim, and he stops. He takes out from the back of his car a red carpet. He rolls the red carpet from the road right to a certain kever where it stops. Then he takes two sticks and he puts the two sticks in the ground and he unrolls a sign and he puts up the sign and everyone's watching this. On the sign says, will you marry me? (laughs) What is going on here? So So the people that are watching this and they're getting ready to say Kaddish for the person that they're there for, are very upset. What is this? An avla? You're making fun of the people who are, be- you know, who are buried here? There's no place to deal with issues like wedding and engagements. And, but before they can go down there and, 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 you know, share their disappointment with the fellow, he got back into his car, he scooted right out of the, be- the base of Chaim and Haran Menuchos, and he's gone. Fifteen minutes later, he comes back. The car is coming up the mountain, and inside the car, be careful, let me just move this. Inside the car was a passenger with him, a young girl. He stops right by where he left the red carpet with the sign. She sees the sign, and she starts to cry, and she says, Yes, yes, I'll marry you. Yes. (laughs) Now, everyone is wondering what's going on here. So they walked down the mountain to these people and said, you know what? We're like very shocked. We're disappointed. Like, what is this going on? And the young couple is wondering. They probably are curious what we're doing here. 
So the, the chassan says to her, maybe you should tell them the story. So she says, let me tell you what's going on here. My father is buried here. And I came from a very, very from family. Ten children. My father's entire life revolved on two things, Torah and mitzvot. He sat and learned all day. And all my brothers and sisters were goody two-shoes types. They're very good Ehrliche boys and girls. When I was in eighth grade, I started to question Hashem and question Yiddishkeit. But I knew how to fake out the school, and they couldn't tell that I was in the meantime watching movies, listening to music that was inappropriate, and things like that. Eventually I finished high school, and because of my father's reputation as a great Talmud Chacham, we, I was able to get into the seminary of my choice. You know, seminaries are very exclusive. Some of them take some girls and not others, but I didn't have a problem. But within a month, they found out that I was doing inappropriate things, and even though I came from a great family, they threw me out of the seminary. You don't belong here, you're a bad example to the other girls. From that point on, started the process in which I started to become fry. I wasn't dressing bitsnis anymore, and I was doing inappropriate things. My father and my mother came to me and he said to me, We are Gila, we're here to support you. We have no questions on your behavior, and even though that it hurts us a lot, we thought about your life, we don't feel we did anything that was bad in which the way we raised you, but we're here to support you, we will not complain at all. And she tells them the story. I was used to walk around in short dresses, not sneer. My parents didn't say a word to me. My father with his long frock would take a walk with me in, in, in Yushalayim every day, twice a week. And he didn't care if he was embarrassed. My brothers and sisters didn't say anything bad to me. They never made me feel uncomfortable. Even if I came to their simchas not dressed appropriately. And I was very bad and I was very anti until 10 years, I was living by myself. I had not spoken to my parents or my family. I decided, maybe now's the time that I want to come back to Hashem. And I didn't tell them, but slowly, I picked up a sitter for the first time in 10 years, and I started to daven. Little by little, and then a little more tehillim. And then came the day that I decided I was going to keep Shabbos for the first time in 10 years. And I kept it. And I couldn't wait for Shabbos to end so I could call my mother who I didn't speak to in years and tell her, Ima, I kept Shabbos and you're going to be proud of me. I'm starting to daven again. And I'm keeping Sias a little bit more. That Shabbos, I was waiting for Shabbos to end so I can call her. But the minute Shabbos ended, the phone came, a phone call came in and rang. My mother was on the phone. Something happened. Your father's in the hospital in Hadassah and Karen. Come quick. And she was excited because she wanted to tell them about her transformation, how she changed if she came back. She ran to the emergency room. Too late. He passed away from a heart attack. And she said to herself, she was, she was going to faint. She says, I can't believe it. I was so looking forward to telling Abba how I changed, how I came back. How can Abba do this? He left me before I had the opportunity to tell him. And she says, at the funeral, they had to revive me. And everyone told me, don't worry. He may not be here physically, but he's watching you. And he knows the changes that you made. Okay, so I decided to become Frum again. And I, in the last two years, I, I started living a Frum life. And I was offered a Shidduch with this young man. She's telling the story in the Beis Chaim. He had the same kind of history as me. He had complications. He had questions on Yiddishkeit. He fell, but he didn't have the support system of a family like I had. But nevertheless, we got along, and today he told me 
he wants to propose in marriage. But he said to me, I want to make the proposal in a, in a place that you feel would be the best place. We're going to propose at the person who saved your life, at the kever of your father. So that's why he brought me here to make the proposal. So Abba could look down in Shemaim and see how proud he would be of me today that I was able to go through my struggles and Baruch Hashem came out alive. And that's the key. The message is here that we have to always have confidence in our children. We have to always believe in our children. We have to believe that they're there. They're here to help us. And they, we, we're here to help them. And we have to be warm and affectionate to them. Do we have more, one, time, more from, time for one more? Or were they done? We have one more? Okay. Water. Water. Water? Yeah. I get you water? Yeah. I get you water? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, in the views? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Just put a seltzer, anything, any liquid. Yeah. Okay, I'm starting the. Oh, that's perfect. I'm starting the next one. Chaim, Chaim. Okay. The story takes place in Eretz Yisrael of a young couple that was getting ready to get married around Shavuot's time. In the family of the Hassan, the grandmother had a nice minhag. Anytime a new daughter-in-law came into the family, she would knock on the door and say, Welcome into the family. I'd like to present you with a piece of jewelry, which was no exception in this story. Judy was the new caller coming into the family. Safta came over one day and she says, Welcome to our family. She gave her, thank you so much. She gave her a beautiful diamond ring, even nicer than when the chassan gave her. But it was a little big. And she was, Judy was really embarrassed to say to grandma, you know, it's a little big. So what she did was on the night of the wedding, she put the ring on and then she put her wedding band on, or, you know, and then, and she danced. And it was a beautiful wedding. Sheva Brachas Shabbos was going to be in the Tanya. By his, by, by the, by the Hassan's mother and father. After lunch, they're sitting down, and <clears throat> Zevi, who's the, uh, who's the Hassan, his mother, is looking at her call, and she says, Judy, where's the ring? I don't see the ring. She says, oh my gosh. I don't know. You know, there's a beach by Natanya. So, maybe it fell in the beach when we were walking. I don't know. Or maybe yesterday, before we came to your house, we washed and we had a meal. Maybe I took it off and left it by the sink. I'm hoping that I left it there. So um, the mother of the chassan was a very nervous type. The, the room that they were staying in was on in the Aliyah, the second floor. She ran into the guest room. She started looking through all her private property, embarrassed her like crazy. And she came and she said, I can't believe you would lose such an expensive ring. Now, she felt bad already. Now she was really egging it on to her. So after Shabbos, she says to her husband, the, the college, says, do me a favor, can you run back to our apartment in Yushalayim? Maybe I left it there when we, I was washing my hands for Natila Sidaim. 
He got into the car, he sped over there, took him 45 minutes. He got there, he looked everywhere, he called her up, I don't see anything. From that day on, it was like a cold freeze between the collar and her mother-in-law. So, the Hassan's father decided that summer that they weren't talking, his wife and the Kala. Let me go ahead and make a lunch. He invited her, her and the Hassan and the Kala to lunch to try to make peace again. And he said, let's buy them a gift. So they bought the Hassan and Kala a nice vase. At the end of the lunch, they're now at peace again. And he tells his wife, why don't you present our Kala with the, with the vase? Now, guess what she does? She's about to give it to her kala to, to take home, and she says, last minute, I don't know if I should give it to you to hold. Look what you did with the ring. Let me let Zevi hold it. Now we have World War Three. So now, she says, the kala says, I'm never coming back here. I'm never talking to you ever again. It's over. So, listen to what happens. Now there's no communication whatsoever. Right? Comes Rosh Hashanah, Zevi takes out his Bekesha, it's time to go to shul. Right? And uh, he puts his Bekesha on, and he says, you know, I can't, you're such a good cook, honey, I can't close the door, I can't close the button. And I, you know, he's trying to put it on, and then finally, he feels a lump. Puts his hand inside his in, in pocket, and out comes the ring. The first thing she does is she says to her, to her husband, You see, it was you, you're the Shlomazel, not me. I, you know, he says that I, it wasn't my fault. She calls her mother and says, You see, it's your son, not me. This is what happens. So she, she feels so relieved. And she's now feeling so happy. From then on, anytime he had an errand to run, she'd make fun of him. I need you to go to the bank. Maybe I should hire two security guards to go with you because you might lose it. Or if she had to ask him to take the children to the park, should I come with you? Maybe you don't want to lose the kids there either. And he would never say a word. Now listen to what happened. Years went on. And after 15 years, grandma passed away. And Judy decided, she got bored of her jewelry. She decided one day to go to the jeweler that grandma used to shop at see if she could trade. So she brought the ring that she was, you know, the one that he had found, that was found, the one that the grandma gave her, to the jeweler. And she says to the jeweler, this is the ring that my husband's grandmother gave me. And she buys all her jewelry from you. He looks at it and he says, I'm sorry, Mrs. X. I know all of my merchandise. And your grand- the grandmother was a great customer. She did not buy this from me. I know my merchandise. She says, what do you mean? She only purchased from one place. You. She says, go home, find me the GIA certificate, the diamond certificate, bring it back. I have everything listed, registered. She went back. She had in the safe, a little safe in her bedroom, all of her personal papers. She pulls out the uh, certificate. It looks okay. And then she sees a piece of paper and she turns white as a ghost. She waits for her husband to come home. And the husband comes home, and she says, you know, Zevi, today I got an opportunity to go to the jeweler your grandma used to go to, to trade. He goes, okay, great. He even told me that it's worth more than when she bought it. So fantastic, you can buy whatever you want, you have my full permission. You trade it, you probably even make money on it. She says, but there's a problem. 
We got married around Shavuos time. That's when Grandma gave me the jewelry. She gave me the diamond ring. When I went today to look for the receipt and the certificate, it says September 7th, right before Rosh Hashanah. What happened? And then she says to herself, I figured it out. You went right before Rosh Hashanah and bought me a brand new diamond ring to replace the old one because you were so upset that your mother wasn't talking to me. And now I realize why you were never around all those years after at night because you took a second job to pay off the ring. Oh my God. I don't know what was a bigger diamond, the ring or you. Yeah. Right? You were you were the bigger diamond. And I and, and and I took all and you took all of that verbal abuse and never said a word so you can make your wife happy. That's what we call Shalom Bias. Yeah. <laughs> My bracha to you and everyone here, Hashem should bless you with health, Adli Dai, Panasa, Hatslacha, Shefa, happiness. You should have nachas from your children, grandchildren, and we should all greet Mishakan Bhiramanu. Thank you for inviting me. Just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.